All right, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Hey, are you doing good? Well, you look good. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Mercy, you're good looking. Tell them that. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, You've been working out or something? All right. Well, good seeing you this morning. Uh, my name is uh, Shane Pruitt, and I, my wife and I have known Matt and Cody for some time now, and it was a true honor uh, to be with them this weekend and to be with your teenagers. I tell you what, you have some great teenagers that are desperately in love with Jesus, and they're desperate to see a move of God. Um, man, you should be proud of your students. So why don't we just give the Lord a hand for your teenagers, your students, and it's exciting to see what God's doing. Uh, just real briefly, my name is Shane Pruitt. Um, my first ministry is my family. I have a beautiful wife named Casey. This past September, we celebrated being married 10 years. Yeah, amen. Uh, she gets a purple heart for that. Amen. All right. Uh, we have three beautiful children. Our oldest daughter is Reagan. She is a redhead. Uh, enough said about that. Uh, and then our middle daughter is Harper. She is three. That's a prayer request. All right. And then our youngest is our son, Titus, and we adopted him um, from Uganda, Africa. And so that is our family, my primary ministry. And then second ministry is I am uh, the pastor of Connection Community Church, or more widely known as C3, right outside of Dallas. And I also have the opportunity to travel and to speak. And so it's a true honor to be with you this morning. Pastor Sean, thank you for the opportunity to preach. And so I'm excited uh, to jump into it. So more importantly than any of that, can we talk about Jesus this morning? Are y'all okay with that? And I think the Cowboys start at three, so we got about four hours, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll make a deal with you. For every amen, praise the Lord I hear, I'll take 30 seconds off the sermon. How's that? <laughs> All right, there you go. No, I'll tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. All right? <laughs> All the teenagers are like, who is that? Right? Turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And there is three words that I want you to gather today, capture today. And if you can walk out of here and you can, rem and you can just remember these three words, then uh, our object will be accomplished, all right? So I want you to remember these three words today. Jesus is better. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is better. Tell them that. Jesus is better, that he is better than anything. So John chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 43. When I was in sixth grade is when I began to realize that girls make me happy, happy, happy. All right? There was a little blonde-headed girl with curly hair named Jenny, and I was in love with Jenny. And so in sixth grade, you know, in sixth grade, we're still kind of terrified of girls. So I wanted her to be my girlfriend. So what I decided to do is I was going to write Jenny a love letter. And so this is what I wrote. True story. I wrote, Dear Jenny, will you go with me? You remember when we used to say that, will you go with me? Back in the days when we rode dinosaurs and had VCRs. You remember that day? All right. I said, Dear Jenny, will you go with me? Circle, yes or no. George Strait wrote a song about it, right? And I said, Dear Jenny, will you go with me? Circle, yes or no. Love, true story, I put this. Love, Shane the Stud Muffin Pruitt, right? <laughs> I folded it up. This is what we do in sixth grade, right? I folded it up. I gave the note to my best friend to give to her best friend to give to her. She opens it. She takes out a pencil. 
she circles an answer, she folds it up, gives it to her best friend to give to my best friend to give it back to me, I open it up, there's my letter, dear Jenny, will you go with me, circle yes or no, love, Shane, the stud muffin Pruitt, there was an answer circled and guess what she circled, yes, she circled yes, all right, and we were the hot item on the playground, all right? The monkey bars were our special spot. We even carved our initials in there. SP, that was me, plus JS, that was her, equals love. Number four, right, forever, like on Sandlot, right, forever. And we were in love, and she was my world, the center of my universe, and we were together. Not four, not one day, not two days, not three days, but we were together four whole days. And when you're in sixth grade, that's a long-term relationship, right? And then at the end of four days, she writes me a letter that said, Shane, I do not want to go with you anymore. We are breaking up. Jenny, true story, she put this, P.S., you are not a stud muffin, all right? <laughs> she folded it up. Gave to her best friend to give to my best friend to give to me, and I saw it, and then right there, I grabbed that letter, and I tore it up into a million pieces to show what she had done to my heart. My sixth-grade career was over. There was no longer reason to live. I was done. And then three class periods later, a seventh-grade girl asked me out, and I'm like, I'm back, baby, all right? An older woman, all right? Well, eventually, I won anyway. I ended up with Casey, and Casey is a great godly woman. She has the spiritual gift of hotness. That's a great thing. I love my wife, all right? But what I learned in sixth grade was a very valuable lesson. In all seriousness, what I learned in sixth grade was this, that whatever I love the most is what dictates my life. Whatever I think about the most, whatever I talk about the most, whatever I daydream about the most, whatever that thing is in my life that gets my heart beating out of my chest, that was my God. And here's the deal, is that if that's anything other than Jesus, the Bible calls that an idol, and it's robbing me. It's actually a, a lie. And you say, well, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe the most important thing in your life is your wife or your spouse or your kids or your grandkids. Listen, if it's anything other than Jesus, it's leading you astray. I heard what one man once said this, if a good thing in your life becomes a controlling thing in your life, then it actually becomes a bad thing in your life because it's an idol. That Jesus truly is better than anything. And the best thing you can do, men, the best way for you to love your wife is to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Parents, the best way for you to love your kids and your grandkids and the best way to, to love your coworkers and your, friend, and your friends and your family is to love Jesus. When Jesus is the center and when Jesus truly is the best thing in your life, then everything else just falls into place, right? That Jesus truly is better than money, the government, popularity, a president. That Jesus is better than a new job. That Jesus is better than the Dallas Cowboys. That Jesus is better than Justin Bieber. Amen? That Jesus truly is better. And so grab that today. Jesus is better. So let's look at it. In John chapter 1, verse 43. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Look at this. If you're with me, say, uh-huh. 
Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, in the next day, Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus. Be very clear who we're talking about. All right, say it like you got some soul. We're in church, all right? Jesus. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. You know why I just love that little part, Jesus decided? Because Jesus is the Son of God, and he does what he pleases. So Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. I wish we had more time to kind of unpack that, that Jesus would be the rabbi, Philip would be the disciple, a student. Literally what he's inviting Philip to do is to follow me, learn from me. A disciple would become just like their rabbi, talk like them, live like them, walk like them, eat like them. They would mimic their rabbi. And what he's saying to Philip is, follow me, become like me, mimic me, learn from me. And it changes Philip's life. Right there, Philip will realize that Jesus is better. Look at verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. You heard those disciples. Verse 45. And then Philip found Nathaniel. I love that. Philip found Nathaniel. So here's a great model that Philip meets Jesus, that Jesus finds Philip. Philip's life is changed by Jesus. Philip realizes that Jesus truly is better. Philip was a fisherman. Any fishermen in the room? Or I love to fish, but after about 10 minutes, my ADDDD kicks in, and I become a very bad fisherman, all right? But right there, Philip realizes that Jesus is better than his occupation of fishing. He leaves it all. He drops it all to follow Jesus And the first thing that Philip does is go find someone else to tell about Jesus. Do you see that? Look at verse 45. Philip found, what does your Bible say, church? Nathaniel. He meets Jesus. He's changed by Jesus, realized Jesus is better. And the first thing he does is he wants to go tell someone else about Jesus. So Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him. And I love that. Who found who? Go back to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found who? Philip. And now, I love this because in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him. We love to think that God needs us, don't we? Don't we love to think that God looks at us and goes, Man, I wish I had more people like you, buddy. Don't don't we like to think that? We like to think that God has a t-shirt with our face on it. That God wears a bracelet that says WWSD, what would Shane do? (laughs) God doesn't need me. God's God. But isn't it awesome that God decides to use me? And God decides to use you? And here is Philip saying, we found him. No, he, he found us. And, you know, we say things like that all the time. Well, when I was 16, I found the Lord. No, he wasn't playing hide and seek from you. He found you. The Bible says you were lost. And he found you and came after you. And I love what he says here. He goes, hey, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. What he's saying here is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, 39 books. It starts with Genesis and goes through Malachi. They all were pointing to a promised one, a deliverer, a rescuer. We just celebrated Christmas, how Jesus broke into history, and Jesus was the promised one of the Old Testament. You got the writings of Moses. Here he goes, who Moses promised. The writings of Moses are known as the Torah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Torah. 
Those are the first five books of the Bible. What are the first five books of the Bible? Genesis. Hey, you took Awanas, didn't you? All right? You know it. It's the first five books. It's the writing of Moses saying all of the writings of Moses pointed to a rescuer, a promised one, a deliverer. And then he says the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. Isaiah pointed. Ezekiel pointed. Malachi pointed. Isaiah pointed. They were all promised a rescuer, a deliverer from the slavery of sin. And this is what Nathaniel says. We have found him who all the Old Testament talks about. Our ancestors waited for this day. Thousands of years we've been waiting. Thousands of scriptures have been pointed. And he is here, the Son of God, the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer. All of mankind's been waiting this, and he's here. And this is what he says in verse 45. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now look at verse 46, because Nathaniel is going to throw in a very strong opinion about Jesus here. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of, what does your Bible say, church? Nazareth? This is what he says. He goes, whoa, hold up. Slow down. If this guy you're talking about named Jesus, is, if he's from Nazareth, then no way can he be the promised one because nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Obviously, Nathaniel had a strong opinion about Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town. It was a poor town. They were very good to the Roman soldiers, which the Hebrews hated Rome. They were under the oppression of Rome. They were under the slavery of Rome. And and because Nazareth was poor, they would bring in Roman soldiers and feed them and lodge them so that they can make money. And so here's Nathaniel, and he hates Nazareth. And he says, if Jesus is from Nazareth, no way can he be the Messiah, the promised one. It's kind of like, say, your town, Eastland, and you have a rival. I understand your rival is Cisco, right? We had a rival. I went to a small school south of Waco called Lorena. We were a small 3A school. And Lorena had a bitter, bitter rival, still does to this day. It's the hated Robinson Rockets. And it was our bitter rival. It was our enemy. In fact, we had a chant for Robinson, and our chant went like this. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Robinson women look like men. That was our chant, all right? <laughs> we couldn't stand Robinson. So it would be like someone coming to us in Lorena and saying, We have found God. He lives in Robinson. And we're like, No. Say it ain't so, right? The point is, Nathaniel has a very strong opinion about Jesus. Maybe you have a strong opinion about Jesus. That's misled. You know, culture forever has had opinions about Jesus, haven't they? One person said this, Jesus was a good moral man, but I have major doubts about his divinity. You know who said that? Benjamin Franklin, you ever heard of him? Another person said this, Jesus was a great teacher, but there's no way he was the son of God. You know who said that? Gandhi. Someone else said this, Jesus is just one way to God. In fact, it's very arrogant for Christians to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You know who said that? Oprah Winfrey. Someone else said this, Jesus is not God. I am God. You know who said that? Marilyn Manson. 
Listen, we can have opinions about Jesus. Culture can have opinions about Jesus. But hear me very closely. Our opinions about Jesus does not change who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our opinions about him does not change him. Maybe you have an opinion about Jesus. Maybe you look at Jesus and you have these opinions about Jesus and you want to shape Jesus into your image instead of being shaped into his image. So a lot of us, even as Christians, we have a very strong opinion about Jesus. We think that Jesus is in heaven holding lightning bolts ready to strike us down. That Jesus is just angry all the time. They looks and says, oh, mess up. Go ahead, go ahead, mess up. I'll hit you with this lightning bolt. We think Jesus is like that. Or we think Jesus is a Republican or a Democrat. Or we think that Jesus is white or black. Listen, our opinions about Jesus doesn't change who he is. He is the same. But our faith about Jesus will absolutely change who we are. We don't need to know our opinion about Jesus. We need to know Jesus of the word and be changed by him. A lot of us, especially as Christians... We like to think of Jesus as just this kind of, you know, kind of a, a passive guy that just allows us to do whatever we want, that Jesus just kind of sits in heaven and he looks at us and says, hey, try your best, pats us on his head, taps us on the rear end and says, hey, do your best. Every once in a while, give me a nod, go to church once a week, throw a dollar in the offering plate, but other than that, it doesn't really matter. And we kind of, what we do typically is we look at Jesus like the picture that we grow up seeing at grandmama's house. You know what I'm talking about? The Jesus that has long, flowing, blonde hair. <laughs> Looks like he just walked off the beaches of California. He uses Pantene, right? The Jesus that has a white bathrobe on, or possibly today it'd be a Snuggie, right? He's got this powder blue beauty sash on like he just won a beauty contest. And he's always petting lambs. He has a real creepy look like this. You know why we like that picture of Jesus? Because we can walk all over that Jesus. We can just do whatever we want. Listen, Jesus is a king, and he demands worship. Jesus drew lines in the sand. He said things like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a line in the sand. In Matthew 12, 30, he said this, You're either with me or you're what? Against me. Listen, church, there's a reason that a whole town yelled to crucify him. It wasn't because he had good hair or a nice beard. It's because he drew a line in the sand. He says, I am God, and you're either with me or against me. This is what he says. It doesn't matter what your opinions are. What matters is your faith. Listen, your opinion doesn't change Jesus, but your faith in Jesus will absolutely change who you are. Amen? I love what Philip's response is to Nathaniel. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love Philip's response. Philip said to him, three very important words, come and what does your Bible say, church? See. I love this. He says, hey, come see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't live vicariously through me. Come see for yourself. I promise you that is Pastor Sean's dream for you. That's your staff's dream for you, your leader's dream for you. Don't take our word for it. Know Jesus for yourself. Experience Jesus for yourself. Dive into the word for yourself. Because one day you will breathe your last. I read a statistic the other day that said this, one out of one dies. You're not getting out of that, right? 
And when you stand before your creator, it won't be you and your Sunday school teacher. It won't be you and your wife. It won't be you and your kids. It won't be you and Pastor Sean. It's going to be you, and you have to give an account for what you did with Christ. And he says, come and see. Know Christ for yourself. Experience Christ for yourself. Know him for yourself. Look at verse 47. So Nathaniel says, okay, I'll go see this thing that's come out of Nazareth. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed. I love it. Jesus is just going to show off here as the Son of God. It says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I love it. So Jesus sees Nathanael coming and going, I know you. I can peer into your heart. I, I know what kind of man you are. I know your integrity. I know your character. I can see into you. Jesus does the same thing for us, right? It's real easy to come to church and put on nice clothes and a smile and Walk around going, I'm fine, I'm fine, be warm, be filled. I'll pray for you, brother. It's easy to fake it at church, but you can't fake out Jesus. He can see into the depths of your soul. And this is what he does. He looks into the depths of Nathaniel's soul and goes, I know you. Look at verse 48. I love what Nathaniel says to him. I think it's the same thing we would say. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? He, I love it when he says, like, whoa, you don't know me. We didn't play Little League together. My mama don't know your mama, right? You don't know me. How do you know me? Listen, Jesus just shows off here. I love it. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's what Jesus says. He goes, uh, I know your name's Nathaniel. I know what kind of man you are. I can peer into your soul. I can see things that no one else can see. Oh, also know this, Nathaniel, that Philip's the one that came to you. Oh, and Phil, when Philip came to you, you were sitting under a fig tree. This just blew Nathaniel's mind. Because watch what he does here. Remember, just moments earlier, he said this. Can anything good come out of what, church? That was his strong opinion about Jesus. Now look, his opinion now changes from opinion to faith. Look at verse 49. Jesus answer, or Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, you are, what does your Bible say, church? The Son of God. You are the, what does your Bible say, church? The King of Israel. What he's saying is this. You're God. You're King. You're Him. Nathaniel's opinions have now changed from opinions into faith. That's the journey we must all find ourselves in. There must come a day where your opinions about God, your opinions about Jesus, must change into faith of the true and living God of scriptures. And this is amazing. He blows Nathaniel's mind. He says, you are God. You are the king. You are him. And he says this simply, Jesus, you are better. I love verse 50 here <laughs> because it shows the son of God here almost being borderline sarcastic. Do we have any sarcastic people in the room? Any sarcastic? Hey, don't point at each other, all right? Here's Jesus being borderline sarcastic here. Look at verse 50. I love it. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I love it. Basically, Jesus is saying this. Really? <laughs> That's all it took? I said your name's Nathaniel, and I saw you sitting under a fig tree? That's all it took for you to believe? Really? Look at what he says here. You will see. Notice he doesn't say you might or maybe. You 
will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is basically what Jesus is saying. We're from Texas. We're from the south, so we can use double negatives, right? This is what Jesus is saying. Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. I blew your mind talking about a fig tree. You ain't seen nothing yet. You're impressed because I know your name's Nathaniel. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is what he's saying. Nathaniel, roll with me. Follow me. Have a relationship with me, just like your pastor was talking about earlier. Know me. Come see me. Experience me. Follow me. Because Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because Nathaniel, guess what? I'm going to teach the Word of God in a way that you've never heard before because I am the Word of God. Nathaniel, follow me. You ain't seen nothing yet because I'm going to cause the blind to see, but you still ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to cause the deaf to hear, but you still ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to cause the lame to get up and walk, but you still ain't seen nothing yet. Nathaniel, I'm going to feed over 5,000 people with two fish sandwiches. Subway has nothing on Jesus. Amen? Man, Nathaniel, follow me. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to calm the storm. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Nathaniel, follow me. You still ain't seen nothing yet. Because at 33 years old, Nathaniel, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to be your sacrifice. Nathaniel, you should be on the cross, but I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die there. But guess what, Nathaniel? You ain't seen nothing yet because they're going to take my lifeless body and they're going to put it in a grave. But Nathaniel, guess what? You ain't seen nothing yet because that grave is going to be a borrowed grave. You know why it's going to be a borrowed grave? Because Jesus ain't going to stay there long. Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet because Saturday's going to roll around the second day and my lifeless body will still be in the grave. But Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet because on the third day, on Sunday, I'm going to bust out of that grave. I'm going to do what Muhammad will not do, what Buddha will not do, what Joseph Smith and Mormonism will not do, what no Pope has done, what Oprah will not do. I'm going to bust out of that grave, conquering sin, death, and destroying the power of Satan over our life, just like your pastor talked about today. Jesus will do that. Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. The resurrection will show that God the Father have accepted the sacrifice on Jesus' behalf. That the cross is the purchase of sin. And the resurrection is our receipt that the payment went through, right? You go to Walmart and you buy something and you pay for it. What do they give you? A receipt. It's the proof of purchase. I don't know about your Walmart, but the Walmart and Rowlett, they always have precious little ladies that are at the door checking your receipt. And what are they checking? Proof of purchase. You know what the resurrection is? Our proof that our sin has been purchased by Jesus. But Nathaniel, you still ain't seen nothing yet because I'm going to show myself for 40 days. You know what I love about those 40 days? Because on three different occasions, Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples. How good were those eggs, right? The resurrected Jesus cooking eggs. That had to be good. But Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
Because at the end of 40 days, I'm going to climb on top of a mountain called Olive, and right before your eyes, I'm going to ascend into heaven like a bottle rocket. But Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because I'm going to walk through the gates of pearl, down the streets of gold, through the singing angels and the bowing elders, and I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the Father on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. And why does Jesus sit down? Not because he's tired, not because he's famished, not because he needs a Starbucks break. He's going to sit down because three very important words he said on the cross. It is what, church? Finished. And he's going to sit down. And he gives us this great promise that if he would leave, he would send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And we have this promise today that if we ever turn from our way of doing things, ever turn from our sin, because we all say really dumb, arrogant things like this. It's my life. I'll do with it what I want. Don't we say that? We usually said it as teenagers when we were arguing with our parents right before we slammed the door. It's my life. I'll do with it what I want. Oh. The first time my daughter does that, those doors are coming off the hinges, baby. All right? You're like, what about privacy? Privacy is a four-letter word. R-E-N-T. All right? Right? Rent. But if we turn from our way of doing things and place our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to dwell in us. That's the good news of the gospel. Yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we get life. Yes, we get hope. But the greatest news of the gospel is we get God. We have God, creator God, all-powerful God living in us. We get to know God, we get to behold God, we get to experience God, we have God in us. Isn't that amazing? That the great Christmas promise is every day, Emmanuel, God with us, in us. It's an amazing promise. We get to know that God now, experience that now, have eternal life now. A lot of us, we just pray a prayer, and then we just sit around on our blessed assurances waiting for heaven but we get to know God eternal life now experience God Jesus is better and we get to experience that and behold that now but that's not the end of the story Nathaniel you still ain't seen nothing yet because one day the trumpet's going to blast the angels are going to shout the skies are going to split and Jesus is coming back for his church do you believe that people ask all the time pastor when is that going to happen I don't know but one thing I do know is today is a heck of a lot closer than yesterday was. Amen? That's the story. Jesus is better. All of scriptures are about Jesus. All of life is about Jesus. Every breath must be about Jesus. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? If it's not, I'm missing it. If you're not, you're missing it. all about him you go but I'm my own man my own girl I make my own decisions it's my life is it really everybody take your right hand and hold it up place it in front of your mouth and breathe you feel that feel that breath if this is really your life let me ask you this what do you have to do with that breath nothing it began the moment God said, it will end the moment God says. It's his life, it's his breath, give it back to him in praise. Jesus is better. I'm going to end like this if the band wants to come back up. If you'll turn to the table of contents, and this is where we're going to end. You're going, wow, table of contents, 
Yeah, I want you to just look at the table of contents. Everything is about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Everything supports that truth that Jesus is better. You see your table of contents there? You got your Old Testament, you got your New Testament. You got 39 Old Testament books, you got 27 New Testament books, 66 total. And all 66 books point to Jesus. I want you to take this journey with me and follow along. Listen to this. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, in First and Second Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. And in Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and in Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the power of love. In Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In First and Second Timothy, in Titus and Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelation, friend, he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is, he is, he is the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega. He is our God, our Savior. He is Lord. He is the King, and He is better than anything the world has to offer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's spend some time worshiping him.